Kicking off our sports championships for the spring season is boys golf. They were our first ones out of the gate. And today we're going to recap that championship. We've got Jason West, our communications director. Greg Stahl, our assistant executive director in charge of the sport of golf. And Jennifer Bethman, who is our coordinator for digital media. Welcome to all of you. Hello. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. As I said, it kicked things off. Greg, where were we and what days did we get started in our five-class boys golf championship? Well, as you mentioned, for boys golf, we do have five classes. Class one was at Country Club of Missouri in Columbia. Class two at River Cut in Springfield. And class three was at Meadow Lake at New Bloomfield. And class four, Sedalia Country Club in Sedalia. And class five, Silo Ridge in Bolivar. Okay, and the dates on this year's championships? The 15th and 16th of May, I believe, off the top of my head. Monday and Tuesday. Correct. And we've made a kind of a big deal in all the rest of our championship recaps of the weather. We had great weather all spring. We got our our boys' golf championships in. We played two full days of golf, but the weather was not great. Correct. Well, kind of a different caveat for golf is... Unlike our other championships, where all classes are probably at the same site, in the same geographical location, in the same community, golf does not take on that identity. We are spread throughout the state, oftentimes with the different courses that we have selected to use for playing our state championships. So as I read off the list earlier of the locations we were at, a couple of those, River Cut and Bolivar, more towards the southwest corner of Missouri, and Columbia was a site in New Bloomfield. Those are both centrally located. Of course, we also had Sedalia that's a little more centrally located. So On Monday for boys golf this year, we had two sites in particular that I thought the rain was probably in thunderstorms was a little more cumbersome, that being River Cut and Silo Ridge. Went into some rain delays, but you know, I know the other locations were keeping a close eye on Mother Nature, without a doubt, but two, if if not a third site, were probably impacted the most. Delayed, we went into a couple of delays, but ultimately, as you already indicated, Dr. Ruckstad, thankfully, we were able to get 18 holes in on both days at all five sites. So we will take that every time and consider ourselves lucky. Yes, but we did play in some rain. I was at Meadow Lake and it rained. We did. We did. (laughs) And we just kept playing. And, you know, as long as conditions are safe and conditions are not tearing up the course, we're going to keep playing. And that's what we were able to do, at least at the site where I was. And I know that there were other sites, as you said, that had that. But we did have uh, delays for safety reasons, a few others. So I'm going to call on Greg or Jason to talk us through the results, the team results in the five classes. Well, Jason will probably be able to offer a little more of a historical perspective because Jason oversees that arena really in our office. But this past spring, boys championships in class one, Salisbury was state champions and boy, have they had quite a year. Boys basketball team won the state title. The boys golf team won the state title, and heck, I believe we had them at the final four in baseball, mm-hmm. didn't we? Baseball finished second. And uh, softball. Did yeah. Softball they had, was at in the fall. Right. Yep. So congrats to Salisbury that had a wonderful year this year. And also in class one boys golf, we had Gallatin was the state runner-up, and Macaulay Catholic was third, and Lynn High School was fourth. In class two down at River Cut in Springfield, Summit Christian Academy won the state championship, and California High School was state runner-up, followed by Springfield Catholic. 
Catholic in Cole Camp, Class 3 at Meadow Lake, LeBlond, St. Joseph Bishop LeBlond, always a strong boys golf program for a number of years. They won the Class 3 state championship, and Logan Rogersville was the state runner-up. And following them in third and fourth was Eldon and Blair Oaks. In Class 4 at Sedalia Country Club, Pembroke Hill won the state championship, and Rolla was the state runner-up, followed by Rockwood Summit, finishing in third place, and Glendale in fourth. And then topping everybody off at Class 5 at Silo Ridge, Chaminade was the state champion, Rockhurst was the state runner-up. Both of those very strong boys golf schools that are in the hunt as a team, typically every year. Following them in third place was Helias Catholic, and then fourth place, Christian Brothers College. And in some of our individual events, it would not be okay for us to say what the uh, winners were. We couldn't go through the winners of every single weight class, of every single gender, of, of all four wrestling classes. We wouldn't do that for state track and field. There are way too many events. But in boys golf, it's just one individual tournament. So I'm going to ask Jason, can you talk us through the medalists for each of the five classes? We sure can. For class one, Asher Rust from Ash Grove finished with a top score. Class two, kind of a tighter race. Peyton Smith from Summit Christian ended up winning with a two under par 142, but he was actually tied with William Boyd of California and ended up beating William by one stroke. They were actually even through the 14 holes of day two and one bogey and birdie later. Peyton ended up coming out on top. For class three, Timothy Johnson of Bishop LeBlond won the top honors with a one over 145. In class four, we had Jonathan Jordan of Pembroke Hill finishing uh, with an even par 140. And in the tightest of races in class five, he says Chaminade won. Uh, they beat out Rockhurst by one stroke and actually won it on day one. <laughs> they, they tied on day two. But we had a three-way tie for first with Bubba Chapman from Chaminade, Jack Cobb from Rockhurst, and Caden Mickelson from Liberty North, all finishing with a two under 142. But in that, the top 17 placers in class five were only separated by seven strokes. Wow. So there were a lot of tight golf in class five. My goodness. Jennifer, we've talked quite a bit about social media and photography and those kinds of things Mm -hmm. in our championships, especially championships that are at one venue. We're in five different venues, not close to each other at all. How do we approach that? Lots of planning. So we do have a handful of people that, that we can count on to fill in our gaps. So when we're spread out, we do have some people that help us out a great deal and they'll They'll take the social media stuff and send it to us so that we can still get things posted and highlight everything because you can't be in five different places at once. We just divvy those responsibilities up and get some extra people to help us out and send us pictures and photography from the sites that we can't be at. It's actually five times 18, really times more, yeah. because you've got 18 holes that are being played at all at all times, mm-hmm. not at all times, but it, once the tournament gets going, you can, you've got 18 holes being played, and on a, any given golf hole, you could have two groups on that hole at that time, and so, yeah. you know, trying to get photography, action photography of boys golf, girls golf, of golf championships at all, it's a real challenge. You know, you can kind of post up in one spot and get every kid that kind of comes through that area. 
greens and tea boxes are, are good places to get those shots. But mm-hmm. but when they come off the tee and they could be separated by right. a long way, right. you know, a group of three be separated by quite a bit to try to get, you know, what you can. It's a tall order. Yes. Lots of walking. Yeah. Lots and lots of walking. But we have some great facilities and they do a great job of getting us to where we want to go. So if we need to go out to a particular hole because we know there's something there that we want to cover or it's a great spot to get pictures. Venues will cart us out there and they do a great job of helping us out getting what we need. Greg, for those who were kind of watching this championship from home or work or wherever it is they were, they were able to see live scoring. How do we do that? How do we do live scoring? We're not CBS Sports that's got a camera all over the course and we can you know, watch everything as it happens and and count the strokes as they're playing. How, how do we do live scoring? Well, ultimately, our state association has developed a good relationship with product called Golf Genius. And Golf Genius is an online platform that specializes in tournament administration, the running of the tournaments electronically. One piece of the Golf Genius software is the live scoring stations which ultimately turn into the every three-hole scorecard update online that friends and family can get on and, and track a golfer's round without physically being at the state championship site. However, even though we have Golf Genius in play set up operational at all state championship sites for golf for both girls in the fall and boys in the spring, we are only as good at those live scoring stations as our volunteers who are working those live scoring stations. So every state championship golf site, we typically have somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 total volunteers that that course has tried to secure to help administer that state golf tournament. Six of those 20 volunteers are going to be pegged, so to speak, to serve as live scorers at live scoring stations. And typically, those live scoring stations are set up somewhere between number three green and number four tee box, and then somewhere between six and seven, and then after hole nine, and then every three holes again on the backside. We have been very blessed that our host courses at our state championship sites have really done a good job of trying to secure the volunteers that we need to pull this off. In today's society, unfortunately, there's just not volunteers overflowing in any space or or arena that could use quote-unquote volunteers. So I know how hard it is for our courses to secure those people They do a good job of working as hard as they can to secure those people. But as it relates specifically to live scoring, those live scoring stations, they are operated by volunteers, typically members of the course that we're playing our state tournament at. In addition to that, those folks just love golf and they want to help a high school golf championship for the benefit of students. Again, they're not being paid anything. They're there all day from the time the first group tees off to the time the last group finishes so we're very thankful and appreciative of those folks doing our live scoring stations for us and it's helpful for you know folks at home who are watching a a school or an individual golfer how they're doing through the day but it's also helpful from a from an administrative standpoint you know as we just talked about you're on 18 holes in the course you don't necessarily know how things are going out there you can watch your live scoring from the office 
and you know at the course or wherever and get a sense of how is the tournament progressing pace wise do we have any problem areas those kinds of things so it's really helpful to give you a sense of how the pace is is going on the tournament i would agree it lends a much better opportunity for us to be able to track and see how the groups are doing and how slow or how quickly they're playing what holes might be becoming difficult holes from a standpoint of just difficulty difficulty or the handicap of that hole maybe we need to get an extra spotter over there because all groups are really struggling on that hole so the live scoring does a lot of things for us other than just flash that quick glimpse of how the tournament's going so far through today's round also hey we're, we're humans sometimes we make entry errors in the live scoring and that error is shown so another thing the live scoring does is allows a coach or someone to catch a possible inaccurate score that was entered into the live scoring portal because even though it's nice to have it there it's still unofficial scoring it's just there for the audience and the the fan base but still We can catch some scoring or entry errors and make sure when those students get done playing at the end of that round, there's some kind of red flag there. Hey, look at your scorecard. It's the official score. The live scoring station shows this, but your card shows that. Just double check and make sure what your actual score was on that hole. So that's been a nice piece uh, to, to add to the administrative part of the tournament as well. Yeah. Jason, do you have any other interesting tidbits on this year's championships? Well, looking at the at the team side, technically Summit Christian Academy's championship on the boys' golf side was the first team championship in, in school history. And I say technically because that was in mid-May, and then a little bit later in the month, they also won the Class 2 boys track and field <laughs> championship for their second team title golf was the first though and we talked about salisbury in class one the two championships they won this year same head coach kenny wyatt both the boys basketball and and boys golf one that we haven't talked about that kind of gets overlooked as far as perennial powers we talked about chaminade and rockhurst and some of those larger names but in class one gallatin finished second this year it's the 11th time that they finished in the top four since 1998. Oh, wow. In fact, they had a couple years there where they were back-to-back champions. So they're making it back into the top four after a brief absence. So they are one of those right there that are perennial power for golf. We talked about Bishop LeBlanc winning. That was their fifth title. They have placed in the top four in the past seven championships. Not the last seven years because we lost 2020 to COVID, but in the last seven championships, they have five titles. Wow. That's impressive. Let me give you a little teaser because we just ended an RFP process. We want to make sure we kind of situate ourselves in the broader narrative when we're talking about our sports. Golf being a lifetime sport where a lot of adults are still playing. A lot of adults are not still playing football. They're not Mm -hmm. wrestling. There's a lot of sports that adults are not still playing. Adults are playing golf. In fact, adults are playing a lot of golf right now. And Greg mentioned five courses that hosted our championships this year. And in our current five-year hosting agreement, we have helped me with the number of courses in our current five-year that we're rotating through. We're right at 10 courses, I believe, that we're using in our current cycle, which ends in the spring of 2025. 
the new cycle picks up the fall of 2025 and goes through the spring of 2030. Mm-hmm. Right. But right now it's 10 courses. And we had we had more than 10 courses bid our current cycle. Is that correct or just 10? We had around 13 or 14 courses that bid to host a state golf championship during our current five-year cycle, but 10 of those courses were selected. So 10 is the magic number of courses that we're using now during the current five-year. So we just had a proposal season. We put out a request for proposals for our championships from the fall of 2025 through the spring of 2030. And this time, where we got 13 or 14 proposals from the last time, we got six. And that is it's a little shocking to our system because we're, we're used to having our choices. But we're in the midst of a golf boom. The pandemic really, really was a shot in the arm for Board of Golf. And our championship sites are a mix of public and private courses. But both public and private, the demand for course time is up right now. And if you're especially a private course needing to give up two days for the championship, but also a day for practice, and and Greg, you jump in at any time, where you have membership that you have agreements that you have to you know you've got to give time to play it's a lot to ask and while we pay for our rounds we're not paying premium for our rounds that's part of part of who we are we're a nonprofit association with students playing but it's a little bit different time than it was five years ago the last time we asked yeah it is so to touch a little bit on where where you went with that we did have six courses submit a proposal to continue hosting our state championships we had two other courses that through communication we had that oh shoot we missed the deadline we forgot the rfp was out there so basically we still had eight at least that we felt like still had the desire to continue to host but as you said that's still down from that 14 number We've had one course in particular that has had the same club pro there for a number of years, and they've hosted us a number of years and done a fantastic job. Well, this spring, I had a visit with him, and they didn't submit an RFP for the next five-year cycle. So we kind of talked about that a little bit, and he shared with me that since the pandemic, their membership is up over 400 people. And One thing you got to think about in the golf arena, so to speak, is when you increase your memberships by 400 people, how many of those 400 people are also possible business owners that want to have corporate outings or business-related fundraiser tournaments or just business-related corporate tournaments or outings just as thank yous to their clients? So it's not just like it's 400 individual people wanting to play more golf than what they were before COVID, but you've got just a lot of things that, you know, spur off of those memberships going up. And we work very closely with the MGA and, you know, Scott Hovis, our executive director. I know, Dr. Ruckstead, you and I both have visited with Scott, and Scott said that, you know, it's valid that the desire to golf has grown since the pandemic. And obviously, because during the pandemic, that's one thing that you could still do to get out of your house. You could go golf because you could distance yourself as much as you wanted to, you know, during the round if you were playing with a group. But anyway, I think there's been a lot of things that, you know, has attributed to that number of bids being down a little bit. The good news is, is we've still got quality courses on board that's hosted us before. We've worked with very closely with before. 
They're beautiful courses. They will provide great sites for our kids moving on in the future through the spring of 2030. And in addition to that, we do have one course that we're bringing on as a new host site as well. One area course that, that has bid for the first time to host. And again, very nice course. And we're thankful to have their bid and be able to use them moving forward. And actually sometime this week or next, we'll be releasing the official communication to the courses how we plan to use their courses and hosting our championships from the fall of 25 through the spring of 2030. Yeah, that's not a necessarily recap of this year's championships, but I do think it's important for people to understand there's a lot of, I guess, wondering out there. How do we choose that? Why does it seem like we're always there? Uh, this is how it works. So, And I do believe we'll do an episode on venues and how venues are chosen in the near future. But as we just came out of the RFP process, I thought it was appropriate to talk about where we are with golf and to you know celebrate the growth of golf. I mean, it's it's an exciting time for the golf industry, and you know to have a club up 400 members that's a lot. is a lot of members, and that's people playing golf, learning the game, socializing through the game, and that's that's exciting. So, anybody have any final thoughts on the Boys Golf Championships in 2023? I'd uh, like to give a shout out. We did have a sponsor for boys and girls golf this year through the PGA Career Services. So the PGA was on site at all of the four girls locations and the five boys locations. They had a representative there to talk to the students and the parents about career opportunities with PGA. A lot of them don't realize that you don't have to play golf to work for the PGA. There's a, there's a whole career services package involved with that. And so they were there just talking with the kids and sharing the information that they had. So if golf was their passion, they could continue on with that and work for the PGA. So we thank them greatly for being a part of that. Part of that sponsorship was the, the free program scorecards that we had. And then there was also a discount on the greens fees for the schools as part of that sponsorship. So we really appreciate the PGA for that and their, their funding and support for our students in that. Okay. In closing, I would like to throw out a couple thank yous as well. And Jennifer, thank you for bringing that up. They, they've been great to onboard as a sponsor. Uh, I know of some kids already that's got some employment opportunities through that our assistance with helping with that communication piece between mm-hmm. high school or former high school golfers and the PGA's current needs. I would like to, as my tenure comes to a close, and the new director of golf here with Mitchell will be Doug Fessler, but as I close my tenure here of overseeing the sport of golf, I, I want to give a very heartfelt thank you to the golf coaches in Missouri. Unless you go to the state golf championships, you don't see that each day we have roughly somewhere between 12 and 15 golf coaches volunteering to help assist with running the state golf tournament. And I just want to throw a huge thank you out to any of those coaches that's ever assisted in any way working as a starter or at the starter table or in a scoring area. Without them, we couldn't do it and there's a lot of golf coaches out there that's assisted over the years. Also, I'd like to thank our courses that we've talked a little bit about today. You're right. Our courses close for a full day on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. In addition to chunks of time, the five days prior to that even, giving different practice tee times for kids that want to come in and schools that want to come in and get their practice round in before that Sunday prior to the start of the state championships. But We've been extremely fortunate to have 
great courses host, but in addition to that, just the club pros and the superintendents at the courses we've worked with have just been outstanding and just, just great human beings. And that makes our jobs a lot easier and a lot more fun and ultimately results in a better managed and administered state championship. So thank you to all the club pros and, and all the personnel at our clubs that we've used over the years. And I'll add on to that the thanks to the MGA and the officials that we we have MGA certified officials at all of our championships and they're rules experts. They're great with working with kids and coaches and helping them understand how this it's usually a, a sticky situation and they come into it and they handle things really well and they come from all areas of the state and they do a great job. Well, thank you all for coming in to talk with us today about our Boys Golf Championships in 2023. You're listening to the Misha All Access Podcast. This is Dr. Jennifer Ruckstead, the Executive Director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association. Thank you for listening to the Misha All Access Podcast and having an interest in Missouri high school activities and athletics. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Misha All Access Podcast or any of the episodes in this podcast, please consider subscribing or liking with your favorite podcast provider. It helps other people find us, and we really appreciate you listening and supporting the Missouri State High School Activities Association.